Hi, my name is Brian. Welcome to the podcast, The Meek Will Inherit the Earth. In this episode, we will ask the question, is the good news that Jesus announced observable? Can his good news be deduced by careful study of the world around us? Or does his good news have little connection to the reality we have access to? That is, is the revelation of Jesus something that comes purely from the supernatural realm and our only choice is to accept it or not, based mostly on blind faith. We will conclude that Jesus, as the light of the world, helps us see things about reality that we were blinded from seeing. So yes, the good news about the kingdom is accessible through careful study of the world, but there is the problem. We can't see it because we are suffering from a condition that the New Testament authors call spiritual blindness. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What did Jesus mean by this bold statement? How is he similar to light? Well, by this metaphor, Jesus simply means that he helps people see. By looking to Jesus, people are able to see the truth about themselves and the world in ways they could not without him. Light is a very important concept to New Testament authors. They come back to it again and again. The words light and darkness are mentioned 93 and 41 times respectively, if my internet search function is working correctly. So it is important for us to properly understand this metaphor. Sometimes people mistakenly think that darkness refers to evil. For example, we might say, that was really dark. Or in Star Wars, they talk about the dark side of the Force. These sayings are fine, but to the New Testament authors, light has to do with understanding. Light helps people see. In the verse we just read, people are able to walk in the right direction and gain stable footing because Jesus enlightens their path. They can see where they are going in life. They will never walk in darkness. The book of 1 John tells us, Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness, and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Again, the point is, you can't see where you are going in the dark. This claim is easy to verify, at least in extreme cases. All you have to do is talk to someone who is full of hate. They will have all sorts of reasons for why their hatred is justified. And the more worked up they get talking about it, the more irrational their arguments and accusations become. They are in the dark with respect to what is really going on, both inside of them and in the world around them. Of course, there is a relationship between evil and darkness. Hatred is often an evil attitude, and it leads to evil deeds. But the evil is secondary. The evil can only exist in the shadow of misunderstanding and lies. The Gospel according to John tells us, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. 
but people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. So we aren't talking about a simple misunderstanding. No, people are motivated to hide the truth from themselves. They don't want any light shining on their deeds. The crucifixion is the climax of the gospel story. In the gospel according to Luke, when Jesus is being arrested, he tells us that the crucifixion is the hour when darkness reigns. Later, when he is hanging on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The crucifixion is the moment when spiritual evil does its best to destroy Jesus. But again, the evil can only exist hand in hand with the misunderstanding. Jesus knows that the people who are killing him do not understand what they are doing, and he asks his Father to forgive them. At the crucifixion, there is even more going on than a bunch of individuals motivated to misunderstand the facts. The full quote from Luke that I gave you before is, This is your hour when darkness reigns. And the your in this sentence refers to Satan. The crucifixion is Satan's hour and darkness reigns. Somehow Satan and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms are at work in the crucifixion. Spiritual evil is one way to talk about what is happening in the violent mob that crucifies Jesus, but we can also talk about it in very earthly terminology. We can all look to times in our own collective histories when a violent groupthink has taken control. Jesus' crucifixion was a one-time event, but the reality is the violence is always there, simmering in the background, ready to explode. The communal violence seen at the crucifixion is a regularly recurring event for all human societies. Jesus often compared his death to the prophets who died before him, and early Christians often compared their martyrdom to Jesus's. Humanity is in bondage to a cycle of violence and misunderstanding. This is why the book of Revelations tells us that Jesus is the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Jesus tells us that when we inflict our violence on one of the least of these, we are doing it to him. The last point I want to make on the crucifixion is that it shines a bright light on this communal violence. Colossians tells us that Jesus made a public spectacle of the powers and authorities, triumphing over them by the cross. Corinthians tells us none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus is the light of the world and he shines the brightest precisely at the moment when humanity is at its darkest, when humanity is most certain that its hatred is justified. The crowd that was crucifying him was convinced that Jesus deserved it. Afterwards, likely most of them went home proud of what they had done, and never gave it another thought for the rest of their lives. But with the telling and retelling of this story by his disciples, it has become harder and harder for communities everywhere to really convince themselves that their violence is justified. The New Testament authors also use the related metaphor of blindness, 
to help explain what is going on with humanity. Blindness is mentioned 55 times. For example, in Matthew, Jesus calls the Pharisees blind guides and warns his listeners that they will fall into a pit if they follow them. We depend on our vision for so much, from seeing where we are walking to reading our computer screens. Unfortunately, some humans are unable to see. Perhaps they were born blind or became blind due to injury or illness. Either way, blindness is a significant disability. In the New Testament, Jesus performs several miracles where he cures people of their blindness. These miracles are exciting displays of Jesus' power and love, but the stories are often making a larger point about spiritual blindness. A good example of this is in John chapter 9, where Jesus cures a man who was born blind from birth. John could simply tell us about this great miracle and what it meant to this man and his family. But the focus of the story is on the social impacts of the miracle. It is ironic that curing one man of his physical blindness reveals so much spiritual blindness at work in the community. The story starts with the blind man coming before Jesus and his disciples asking whether it was this man who sinned or if it was his parents who sinned, which led to the blindness. What an offensive question! Jesus responds, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is lesson number one in the story. Then Jesus heals the man. Then there is a big investigation by the Pharisees because Jesus did this healing on the Sabbath. The Jewish law was that no work should be done on the Sabbath. The Pharisees question the man who was born blind, and then they question his parents. They are not happy with what their investigation turns up, so they pressure the man born blind to change his story. The man refuses, and the Pharisees get angry at him, saying, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out of the synagogue. The Pharisees' judgment parrots the original question that the disciples had. It must have been this man or his parents who sinned. This section ends with Jesus providing more teaching on blindness and light. Let me read it to you. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So Jesus turns blindness on its head. The Pharisees, who were supposed to be expert teachers and guides to others, are shown to be blind. And a man who was labeled as steeped in sin at birth is able to see. The reason for the Pharisees' blindness was not that Jesus' arguments were complex. No, the reason for their difficulty is simple. It was their allegiance to the groupthink that supported their social status. 
They were just doing what they needed to do to protect their own turf. They would never have been able to admit that to themselves, of course, but as outsiders, it is pretty easy for us to see it. We have now seen Jesus take on the problem of spiritual blindness through his teaching, through his miracles, and through his crucifixion. He is the light of the world that helps heal us from our blindness and set us free from the sin that controls us. Now might be a good time to talk about the concept of revelation. Christians often talk about general revelation and special revelation. One website I visited put it this way, General revelation refers to God's revealing himself through nature or natural means. Special revelation, on the other hand, refers to God revealing himself in miraculous ways, primarily through scripture. Special revelation is called special in contrast with general revelation because it is not given to all people in all places. At certain times throughout biblical history, God has chosen to reveal himself by miraculous means. Special revelation includes physical appearances of God, dreams, visions, angels, the prophets, the written word of God, and most importantly, Jesus Christ. End quote. I find these definitions misleading. Firstly, I think we should acknowledge that even for general revelation, truths are not given to all people in all places at the same time. For example, consider Albert Einstein's theory of special and general relativity. These theories were revealed in 1905 and 1915, respectively, to a particular German-born Jewish man. As far as we know, before Einstein, no human had ever understood these concepts. After Einstein discovered the theories, only a few select scientists knew them before they eventually became more widely known. Secondly, we should acknowledge that special revelation that Christians see in the Bible is really all on one topic, understanding the human predicament. The Bible purports to help us understand our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. The question is, are the answers the Bible gives on this topic observable in reality? Or is there some reason this self-knowledge is totally inaccessible to us and it can only come from entirely supernatural realms? Well, as we've been discussing, Jesus is the light of the world. It is not that the subject matter of special revelation, the human predicament, is not observable in the natural world. No, the problem is we have a very difficult time seeing clearly on this particular subject. We are blinded. Fortunately, Jesus, through his teachings, his miracles, and his crucifixion, helps break the power of darkness and opens up new possibilities for us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. The gospel is in plain view for everyone to see, just like other truths. The problem is, we are blinded. And in Romans, Paul calls the gospel the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings and by the command of the eternal God. Again, 
It is not that the message of Jesus wasn't always available by careful observation of the world. The problem is it was hidden. We couldn't find it. The problem is and has always been with us. That being said, I also acknowledge that Paul's reference to the prophetic writings points to the fact that we humans simply could not do this on our own. To some degree we were and still are powerless. We need salvation. Christians say that God saved us. I agree with this, and in the next episode, we will talk more about the surprising way in which God works His saving power. But for this episode, the important thing is not to get confused about special revelation. Special revelation is special because it mostly pertains to our understanding of the human predicament, and we are blinded from seeing it. Even revelations about God in the Bible are often tightly bound up with our misunderstanding of ourselves. For example, if you look at the gods of ancient polytheistic cultures, they are considered divine mostly because of their impressive violence. They are just like us, only stronger and able to inflict more violence on their enemies and innocent bystanders. Once the true nature of human violence is understood, this view of divinity collapses, and it opens up the possibility for that most astonishing of special revelations, that God is love. Coming to faith in Jesus does not mean believing a bunch of things about the supernatural realm for which there is little evidence in reality. God does not hold us accountable to believe in things without evidence. No, faith in Jesus is a process of undoing our spiritual blindness so we can finally see clearly the reality around us for the first time. It is kind of like at the end of Star Wars when Darth Vader finally takes off his helmet and can see his son with his own eyes for the first time. Darth Vader's vision was controlled by the Emperor and the dark side of the Force. But once he made the decision to abandon his allegiance to the Emperor and take off his mask, he could really see his son. This is what discipleship to Jesus is all about. Jesus helps us take off the mask, that veil of understanding that covers over our own role in the problems and violence of the world. This all helps us make sense of Jesus' response to the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 16. Jesus says, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, Today will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. What is Jesus saying here? He is saying that the Pharisees and Sadducees cannot see what is coming because they don't understand human nature. They don't understand the human predicament. It's not that the Pharisees or Sadducees, or that Christians for that matter, should be able to predict specific events. No, the issue here is that a correct understanding of the patterns in human nature provide insights into the kinds of things that are going to happen. By understanding the human predicament, Jesus can see the violent chaos that is coming, but also the happy ending where the meek inherit the earth. 
this is both a scary and hopeful vision for the future. And we should be able to see it coming. As the Apostle Paul tells us, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Again, I am not saying we should be able to predict specific dates or events, but we should not be in darkness about the kinds of things that are coming down the pipe for humanity. We should be able to understand how current events fit into the general pattern. In spite of all this discussion of Jesus being the light of the world, I expect most Christians will find the concept of the revelation of Jesus being observable challenging. But what is the alternative? If special revelation comes purely from divine miracles and is not accessible in the world we experience with our senses, how can we ever know what is true? How can we decide whether Jesus had a special word from God, or if it was Martin Luther, or if it was Mohammed, or if it is my neighbor next door who says he has a vision? If the real truth about humanity and God is not accessible, then each of these claims are equally valid. There can be no criteria for discerning which one is right, and there is no point in dialogue, because no one can ever really know. On the other hand, if we are willing to follow this path of enlightenment, then we have a lot to talk about with our neighbors. We no longer need to be paralyzed by relativity, or the many different Christian sects, or the broader variety in world religions. If we are offering people a very real solution to a very real problem, then it is worth discussing. And people really are suffering. And Jesus really does enlighten the path to a better world. This is something everyone should want to hear about, and many actually do want to hear about it. I like the story of Paul on trial before the Roman governor Festus and King Agrippa in Acts 25. Even after rotting in jail for months and his own people conspiring to kill him, Paul is so convinced of the gospel he has no problem getting into it with Festus and Agrippa. This kind of confidence comes from knowing you have the best explanation of reality and that the data is on your side. It is much more difficult to have confidence when your faith is based on things you should believe because God told us. Sure, we can pump ourselves up into confidence when we get together in big groups, but this kind of confidence fades the farther away we get from the groupthink. Paul and the early church really believed they had the best explanation of reality, and all they had to do was reflect the light. Who do you think is more likely to have a big impact on culture? The group who says, Believe us because God told us so. Or the group that says, Believe us, look at how well what we are saying lines up with reality. If you are buying into a groupthink instead of the gospel of Jesus, then you are missing out. It is really true. Jesus is the light of the world. He illuminates the human condition. We all have the opportunity to follow him and unlearn our blindness. Like the Apostle Paul did on the Damascus Road. Like the two disciples who were walking on the Emmaus Road after the crucifixion.
like Peter when Jesus rebuked him and said, Get behind me, Satan. Or like Peter at the crucifixion after he denied Jesus. Or like Peter when he had the vision of unclean animals being clean. Or like Peter yet again when Paul confronted him in Acts for his hypocrisy for refusing to eat with Gentiles. Let me be clear. Love is the most important virtue, not knowledge. The problem is, without following the path enlightened by Jesus, it is almost inevitable that you will fall into a pit of hatred. In the examples listed, the disciples were trapped in pitfalls of hatred. Each story is a little different, but the common thread running through them is their belief in privilege for their tribal group, the Jews, at the expense of others. The disciples had such a hard time with this, and so do we. They wrote down their stories to help us. Following Jesus is not easy. It involves a continual enlightenment about our own hatreds and prejudices. You have to go through the process if you really want to follow Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. If we follow him, he will gradually open our eyes, set us free from sin, and empower us to move into his love. Let me summarize this episode. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. By this he meant he helped people see and understand things. Although the metaphor of light has to do with understanding and not evil, there is a relationship. Evil only thrives when covered by a veil of misunderstanding. People like ourselves, who are involved in small or big evil, don't want light to shine on their deeds. The crucifixion is humanity's darkest hour. It is in moments like these, when we commit the most horrendous deeds together, that we are most convinced of our righteousness. Jesus shines a bright light on the human process of community formation through violence. The New Testament authors often use the related metaphor of blindness to describe the human predicament. We are unable to see what is right in front of our eyes. We have a disability. This is what prevents us from understanding the gospel. It is not that the subject matter of the gospel is primarily supernatural. Discipleship to Jesus is the slow process of undoing our blindness and learning to see. The disciples had a really hard time with this. They failed often, and they told us their stories to help us follow a similar journey. Love is the highest virtue, not understanding. The problem is, without following this path of discipleship and enlightenment, you will almost inevitably fall into a pit of hatred. Without the light, you will lose your way. This is where the path of discipleship described by Jesus' closest followers really helps. I hope you are or will consider embarking on this journey.
In the next episode, we will discuss creation, evolution, and salvation. The Bible tells us that God created the world. Scientists tell us that the world as we know it evolved over billions of years. Many Christians, including myself, do not see any contradiction here. I don't fully understand it, but God somehow uses evolution in his creative process. The question for the next episode is, what about the new creation? The Bible tells us God is making everything new. Does God still use evolution in his process of new creation? Or has he changed his approach to how he creates? Please tune in to the next episode to find out.